You are or could be of unimaginable value. If you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and seeking him with your might, you are known in the scriptures as a peculiar treasure. Exodus 19, verse 5. This will sound bizarre, but it is clearly an understatement. One blood-bought soul is worth more than the aggregate wealth of the entire earth and its universe. Consider that the earth and its universe were created just over 6,000 years ago. In Bishop Usher's highly acclaimed book, The Annals of the World, which was published in 1658 A.D., the first day of God's creation is pegged as Sunday, the first day of the week, September 21, 4004 B.C. When you add 4000 B.C. with 2023 A.D., the year of this writing, you have 6,027 years. Now, add in 1,000 years for the soon-coming millennium reign of Jesus Christ here on the earth, and then Revelation 27 through 9, and the entire tenure of this creation appears to be just over 7,000 years. Mix in this prophecy from 2 Peter chapter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Soon all of the earth and its heavens will be destroyed, but the born again will live eternally, one with the Father, through Jesus Christ the Lord, John chapter 17. This carnal vanity is but a vapor. If you gathered all the wealth in this carnal world, it could not purchase the salvation of one single soul. Jesus explains the value of a person's soul in Matthew sixteen twenty-four through 26. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There is only one who can and did pay the unearthly price for a soul's salvation. And that one was seen as a beaten, spat upon, mocked and crucified naked pauper. His name, Jesus Christ the Righteous. One blood-bought soul is worth more than the aggregate wealth of the earth in its universe. A soul's salvation can only be purchased by the naked pauper. Born again is a greater miracle than creation itself and the greatest miracle man can know. Surely an understatement. Without born again, life is an exercise in foolish vanity that ends in utter and eternal despair. But it doesn't have to be that way. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again? In just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt. And if you do, 
you will be born again, born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today, all your sins and shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken. The bigger, the better. Today, you will become a new creature. Some of you have arrived at this invitation more than once, but have rejected the offer. Your door of opportunity will soon close. Act now while God's hand is still extended to you. Here is the prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis 41, verse 45, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him a wife, Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. God said, Exodus 10, 1 through 10, and there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. As his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. God said, First Samuel seventeen four through 10. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Man said, No serious person of any academic stature 
would embrace the biblical record as anything but myth. Everybody knows that. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1,150, that will once again stand to the miraculous and inerrant beauty of the book. All of these faith-building features are available to you at no charge and are presented to you in text and streaming audio for your edification and as the platform from which to cast your nets. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. We are honored by your presence. May your life be filled with the cross. The biblical minimalists, those who reject the Bible's accounts and offer up their own carnal concoctions, are being fully minimalized by sundry discoverers very regularly. They have trashed biblical inerrancy and have cast doubt into the hearts of billions. Soon they will give an account for all their hard speeches. Jude chapter 1, 14 and 15, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This God Said, Man Said feature will demonstrate the beautiful perfection, the unerring accuracy of God's Word. Every historic declaration, every judgment, every precept and commandment, every stream of hope, and every miraculous account is true and righteous altogether. Everything depends upon God's Word. Everything. God Said, Man Said uses a four-step proof platform to establish the bona fides of the Holy Bible. The first category is archaeology, which also includes geology, paleontology, ancient history, ancient societal records, and microbiology. This first category, archaeology, establishes the full and perfect credibility of God's majority text, Holy Bible. World-renowned archaeologists testify of the marvels of an ancient book, God's Holy Bible. In the following excerpts from Encyclopedia of Bible Life, you'll find a quote from one William F. Albright, who stood a giant in the field of archaeology. He was an Orientalist and professor of Semitic languages at Johns Hopkins University. Albright was director of American schools in Jerusalem and led excavations in numerous places. A bibliography of Albright's work was written by Henry M. Orlinsky, where 473 items were listed. The following is from Encyclopedia of Bible Life. Nothing that has happened in the past 50 years has put the Bible on sure footing as the development of biblical archaeology. Without starting out to prove that the Bible is true, research has a posteriori, come upon facts confirming and illustrating point after point, especially of Old Testament record. Higher criticism has received a blow and must henceforth be considered only in connection with the findings of archaeology. We now know that Abraham was not merely a Mesopotamian folk hero, but a historic personality, though not contemporary with Hammurabi, whose date is not 2000 B.C., but between 1728 B.C. and 1686 B.C. We now believe with Albright that Jericho, Jericho excuse me, fell later than 1375 B.C. 
Confirmation has been found of the destruction and desertion of Shiloh by the Philistines after the Battle of Ebenezer and the capture of the Ark, 1050 B.C. Exodus, uh, Exodus 1 has been confirmed with the discovery of Egyptian Tanis and Pithon, Talredaba, store cities of Ramsey II. The antiquity of the Song of Deborah has been demonstrated in the pushing back of dates of portions of the Old Testament once placed in the post-exilic period has come about. Ras Shamra in northern Syria has given us not only the lost Canaanite religious literature, but has helped us construct the progress of Israel's loftier religion by tracing its steps of ascent from the worship ways of its neighbors. We know now since Megiddo and Ezion Geber excavations much about the economic foundations of Solomon's kingdom and the background of his temple building and chariot cities. Cross-reference synthesizing Babylon with Palestinian history in the 6th century B.C. have built up satisfactory conclusions. As Albright has pointed out in Archaeology and the Religion of Israel, the most brilliant and searching scrutiny of science has not lessened the preeminence of the Bible as a masterpiece of literature and an absolutely unique religious document. Nothing has been unearthed which need disturb the faith of Hebrew or Christian, but much has been excavated which heightens their faith. No major contention of Scripture has been proved unhistoric. Those paragraphs were written over 70 years ago, and the situation for the higher critics has certainly not improved. The archaeologist spades continue to dig, and God's word is continually confirmed. You would suppose at least one uncontested victory for the doctors of unbelief, but alas, not one. A few final excerpts follow from Dr. Grant Jeffrey's book, The Signature of God. Dr. Nelson Gluick, the most outstanding Jewish archaeologist of the last century, wrote in his book, Rivers in the Desert. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. They form a terrace in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly correct historical memory. Another respected scholar, Dr. J. O. Kinneman, declared, Of the hundreds of thousands of artifacts found by the archaeologists, not one has ever been discovered that contradicts or denies one word, phrase, clause, or sentence of the Bible, but always confirms and verifies the facts of the biblical record. Well-known language scholar Dr. Robert Dick Wilson, formerly professor of Semitic philosophy at Princeton Theological Seminar, uh, Seminary, excuse me, made the following statement. After 45 years of scholarly research in biblical textual studies and in language study, I have come now to the conviction that no man knows enough to assail the truthfulness of the Old Testament, when there is sufficient documentary evidence to make an investigation, the statement of the Bible in the original text has stood the test. Can one rely upon the Word of God? The headline in the Jerusalem Post reads, Dr. Eilat Mazur, the Bible as Blueprint, a paragraph follows. 
Mazur, who was often revered and reviled by some of her colleagues for being a biblical archaeologist, says the Bible is unquestionably the most important historical source for her work since it contains a genuine historical account of the past. I work with the Bible in one hand and the tools of excavation in the other, she says. The Bible is the most important historical source, end of quote. In October 25, 2022, headline of Science Daily reads, Biblical military campaigns reconstructed using geomagnetic field study. Excerpts follow. A joint study by Tel Aviv University and the Hebrew University involving 20 researchers from different countries and disciplines has accurately dated 21 destruction layers at 17 archaeological sites in Israel by reconstructing the direction and or intensity of the Earth's magnetic field recorded and burnt remnants. The new data verify the biblical accounts of the Egyptian, Aramean, Assyrian, and Babylonian military campaigns against the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The researchers explained that geophysicists attempting to understand the mechanism of Earth's magnetic field track changes in this field throughout history. To this end, they use archaeological findings containing magnetic minerals which, when heated or burned, record the magnetic field at the time of the fire. Thus, in the 2020 study, researchers reconstructed the magnetic field as it was on the ninth day of the month of Av, 586 B.C., the Hebrew date of the destruction of the first temple and the city of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army. Now, using archaeological findings unearthed over several decades at 17 sites throughout Israel, alongside historical information from ancient inscriptions and biblical accounts, the researchers were able to reconstruct the magnetic fields recorded in 21 destruction layers. They used the data to develop a reliable new scientific tool for archaeological dating. One example given by the researchers is the destruction of Gath of the Philistines, identified today as Tel Zavit in the Jerusalem foothills, uh, but it was destroyed by Hazael, king of Aram Damascus. Various dating methods have placed this event at around 830 B.C., but were unable to verify that Hazael was also responsible for the destruction of Tel Rehob, Tel Zayat, and Horvat Tevet. Now the new study identifying full, excuse me, full statistical synchronization between the magnetic fields recorded at all these four sites at the time of destruction makes a very strong case for their destruction during the same campaign. A destruction level at Tel Beshin, on the other hand, recording a totally different magnetic field, refutes the prevailing hypothesis that it, too, was destroyed by Haziel. Instead, the magnetic data from Beth Sheen indicate that this city, along with two other cities in northern Israel, was probably destroyed 70 to 100 years earlier, a date which would correspond with the military campaign of the Egyptian pharaoh Shoshank. Shoshank's campaign is described in the Hebrew Bible and in an inscription on a wall of the Temple of Amon in Karnak, Egypt, which mentions Beth Sheen as one of his conquests. Professor Oded Lipschitz supervisor of the research adds, the new dating tool is unique because it is based on geomagnetic data from sites 
whose exact destruction dates are known from historical sources. By combining precise historical information with advanced comprehensive archaeological research, we were able to base the magnetic method on reliable, reliably anchored chronology, end of quote. The book, The Big Argument, Does God Exist?, carries a subhead that reads, 24 scholars explore how science, archaeology, and philosophy haven't disproved God. One of the book's 24 scholars is David K. Down, editor of Archaeological Diggings, Australia's leading ancient history and archaeological magazine. David Down pens the following under the title, The Story of Joseph. The heart of the 12th century was in the Delta. There were palaces at Memphis, Avarice, and the Fayum, which provide a suitable setting for the establishment of the Israelites in the land of Goshen. The religious center was Heliopolis, the city of the sun, then known as An. An obelisk still stands at Heliopolis, now a suburb of Cairo. This obelisk was erected by Sesostris I and is today known as the Pillar of On. If we understand that Sesostris I was the Pharaoh under whom Joseph was visor, Genesis 41-45 is very meaningful. And Pharaoh gave him as a wife, Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. The Fayum is a vast oasis in the desert west of Medium that today supports a population of 2 million people. It was developed during the 12th dynasty. The whole area is watered by a canal dug during that period. This canal is today known as Bar Yosef or Joseph's Canal, though no one seems to know why. It may have carried this name ever since it was dug in the 12th dynasty. It could have been the work of Joseph in preparation for the seven years of famine. As for Joseph himself, there was a visor under Sesostris I who had extraordinary powers. His name was Menahotep. Of him, Brushbay wrote, In a word, our Menahotep, who was invested with several priestly dignities and who was Pharaoh's treasurer, appears as the alter ego of the king. Brushbay noted that there was a significance in the report that when Menahotep arrived, the great personages bowed down before him at the outer door of the royal palace. The Bible record states, Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! Genesis 41, 42, and 43. This was an unusual honor to bestow on an Egyptian visor, but that was the way it was with Menahotep. The fact that he is not named as Joseph is of little consequence. The Egyptians, as well as biblical characters, frequently had more than one name. Down writes under the heading, The Oppression of Israel. The Bible continues, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. This does not mean he was ignorant of Joseph's service to the nation, but that he wished to make no recognition of them and as far as possible to bury them in oblivion. Josephus, the Jewish historian of the first century A.D., wrote, Having in length of time forgotten the benefits received from Joseph, particularly the crown being now come into another family, they, the Egyptians, became very abusive to the Israelites and contrived many ways of afflicting them. By the revised chronology, this pharaoh would have been Sesostris III. His predecessor, Sesostris II, had no living sons at the time of his death. 
Sesosterone III may have been related to this predecessor, but he was not in direct line to the throne, so he could be classified as belonging to another family, as Josephus says. From his statues and inscriptions, we may conclude that he was a harsh despot quite capable of inflicting cruelty on the Israelite slaves. The last ruler of the 12th dynasty was Queen Sobekneferu, who had no children. She would have been the daughter of Pharaoh, who came down to wash herself at the river, Exodus 2, verse 5. She was not down there to get clean. She would have had a sumptuous bathroom at her palace for that. She would have been taking a ceremonial bath, praying to the fertility river God happy for a baby. And when she saw this beautiful Hebrew boy floating in a basket, she would have regarded it as an answer to her prayers. How else can we explain an Egyptian princess adopting a slave child and planning to make him the next pharaoh. When Moses was 40 years of age, he killed an Egyptian while defending one of his own people. That's in Exodus 2, 11 through 15. When Pharaoh heard of the incident, Moses was forced to flee to the land of Midian. And when Menahet III died, Sebekinephru assumed the throne and ruled for four years. When she died, the dynasty ended and was succeeded by the 13th dynasty. Her reign, occasioned presumably, uh, presumably by the absence of a male heir to the throne, marks the virtual end of a great epic in Egyptian history. From the historical records, we also learn that Asiatic slaves were used during the 12th dynasty. The Cambridge Ancient History notes that the Asiatic inhabitants of the country at this period must have been many times more numerous than has generally been supposed. It is not known whether or not this largely slave population could have played a part in hastening or in paving the way for the impending Hyksos domination of Egypt. However, Encyclopedia Britannica reports that Asian slaves... Whether as, or, uh, whether as merchandise or prisoners of war were plentiful in wealthy Egyptian households, end of quote. Uh, do note that Asiatic slaves would include the Hebrews. A headline in volume 38 of Creation Magazine's quarterly issued uh, from 2016 states, Goliath's City's Gate Found, excerpt followed. Archaeologists have unearthed the gate and fortified wall of Gath, an ancient Philistine city in Israel. This was the home of Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 24. Later, David fled the Gath to escape Saul, and feigning madness made marks on the gates of the city, 1 Samuel 21, 12, and 13. Other recent discoveries at the site include the earliest decipherable Philistine inscriptions containing two names similar to the original form of the name Goliath, plus clear evidence of an earthquake, an event mentioned in Amos chapter 1, verse 1. Ongoing archaeological discoveries continue to support biblical history, end of quote. God said, man said, carries additional features regarding the subjects mentioned in this article, along with a host of additional subjects running the gamut from Adam and Eve to the cross of Calvary's hill to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and beyond. If it's all true, then John eleven twenty five and 26 is true. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? 
If it's all true, then Romans 8.28 is true. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If it's all true, then Revelation 21, 1 through 5 is true. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Relax, sons and daughters of God. The word of God is true and righteous altogether, a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Genesis forty-one forty-five, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. God said, Exodus 2, 1 through 10, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took the wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer uh, hide him, uh, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. God said, Samuel 1, 17, verses 4 through 10, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Man said, No serious person of any academic stature would embrace the biblical record as anything but myth. Everybody knows that. Now you have the record. 